Hello, good morning, and welcome to Raider Nation Radio. It's the morning tailgate. You're on a Friday. We made it to the end of the week, and we got a lot to get into today. We'll talk to Harry Ruiz from Raiders.com Espanol. There's also our conversation with Chris Thomas. We also uh, put in a, a few words, a conversation we had with Owen Delancey. We'll tell you all about that as well. 702-365-9200 is the number for our text line and our phone number. R&R 920 AM is where you could reach us on X. Good morning, everybody. Hey. How are you? Oh, great. Thanks. Get to talk to Luke Getzey today. Yeah. You do? Yes. On Zoom. <laughs> At arm's length. On a, yeah. <laughs> you wearing a tuxedo? Lindsay brought up a good point. I, I, I always turn my camera off. Oh. Yeah. I'm One just of those. Vincent Bonsignor, Las Vegas Review Journal. You yeah. want him to wait to see you face to face. I understand. <laughs> um, yeah. And you brought up a good point. I don't even know if he's, he's he should be in town by now. Um, but has he moved enough where it's no. like you're going to have, an, you can go to the meeting and you're settled in and all that Usually, stuff? Usually, yeah. You're at a hotel for a little while. Like, I would imagine, like, even Tom Telesco, probably, because you got to buy a house. You have to sell your house. Must be nice. Um, you know, you have to do all of those types of things and get the kids in school. It's not it's it's not as nice as it seems. Well, I'm just going to say, I don't know if, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what the contract situation is, but I know the rental market is uh, skyrocketing here in town. And so, who knows? I actually read a story situation. where it's going down now. Really? Yeah. Wow. It was like, it's like a good time to uh, to rent here in Las Vegas. It, oh. it kind of goes out. It always, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of a roller coaster ride. In fact, I just saw that headline. I was like, wow, okay. Um, I don't know if that's a good sign or a bad sign. If usually if like the only option like viably from an economic standpoint is renting, I feel like that's bad. I feel like there's a lot of rental properties, oh, but I don't know if it's great that all of the properties are being bought up by big companies and then being put Well, that's what rentals. happens in California where where you know their, their entire streets will be owned by an yeah. entity. Yeah. You know, I think in Minnesota cuz I was I was uh, talking to some real estate friends of mine I think in Minnesota they they put a cap on that. Like oh, you can't wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, you can't buy like four houses in a in a because then you're going to set the price. We have regulations right. in Minnesota, right? Heavy regulations, which is and it goes back heavy corporate and it taxes. goes back to our um, conversation yesterday. Each state is unto itself in yep. a lot of ways. So, like with the gun laws and things like that, if you have responsible leaders in your state. Um, you get good leadership and good, and you know I, I'm not for regulating everything, but there needs to be sometimes regulation. Nobody should be able to buy an entire neighborhood basically and set the prices for rental prices yeah. for that particular your, area. Your paper reported on uh, something like that a few weeks ago, whereas in one day I think some Wall Street hedge fund bought mm-hmm. like 316 homes. Yeah, right. seems like a problem. Right, that's not. That that's you know yeah that's not cool. No, it seems like cool, an man. issue for for multiple peoples for multiple reasons. Yeah, yeah. and Las Vegas itself wants to re- remain in like you know in some sort of spot where it's like they don't want to get too, you know, regulatory mm-hmm. where they have to like you know fend off these kinds of groups that go and like buy up property like that. But Las Vegas has always been that kind of war zone, you know, yeah. and it, it'll go through fluctuations, and not everybody can profit from that, <laughs> you know. Uh, some some groups that, that take over, like they, they'll find themselves holding on to properties, and next thing you know, a recession will hit, and prices will drop, and next thing you know, they're, they're, the, the market is flooded with supply again of homes and all sorts of stuff, and you can get it at a lower price. So sometimes it helps. I'll, you know? I'll, I'll never, Maybe not in the, yeah. the, the, the short term, but sometimes in the long term, it really does help. I'll never forget, um, It was I think it was 2015, it was the Super Bowl in New York, right? So whatever January of that year was, and uh, the Broncos against, against Seattle. And on Friday, b- back then, it's changed now, on, on, on the Friday before the Super Bowl, the commissioner would talk, right? That was his big State of the Union uh, address. 
And we're, we're all of a sudden the story breaks in the LA Times that Stan Kroenke bought like a parcel, a little parcel of land in 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 uh, in city Inglewood. of industry, right? Or was no, that, no, no, was that no, the no, one? no, 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 oh, no. The that was one. yeah, okay. that was a whole okay, yeah, that was another whole other project. Okay, okay, I was wondering if you're going but, in that but, direction. Yeah, trust okay. me, I know all of this. Yeah, remember that? <laughs> yes. City of in- thank God, it yeah, didn't. Thank the city God. of industry, my God, it's an armpit <laughs> over there. But anyway, so sorry, guys. Uh, my friends that live there. It would have been possible to get to. Yeah, Go so ahead, uh, so he buys this little parcel of land in Inglewood, and and it was so nebulous on how, I don't know what I'm going to do with it, you know, and uh, and so at that point in time, the Chargers kind of had their eye potentially on Los Angeles, right? They ended up being there, but, but you know, that was their quote-unquote area. They tried to they tried to market it. They would send players up to Los Angeles to talk to the L.A. media, and it was very, um, you know, obvious that, Hey, if it doesn't work out in San Diego, we're probably going to move to Los Angeles. So we're trying to, you know, uh, plant some some roots there. So Kroenke makes this move, and we're talking to Dean Spanos uh, at that because all the owners would be at this State of the Union thing, right? And I, I swear, I almost saw smoke coming out of his ears. Mm. What is he doing? Mm. What what's going on here? He <laughs> says that he doesn't know what he's going to do with it, but I mean, I got to sit here and think he's probably going to build a stadium. Like that's not cool, you know. And it was like. <laughs> So hilarious seeing that, re- like it was a real reaction, like this is going to screw me right here, you know, and um, it turned out that it actually kind of did, but he ended up, you know, being able to uh, to ride on the coattails there to uh, Los Angeles, but that little parcel of land ended up becoming the big, huge 300 acres that, that he bought, so it was, it was part of that. But the reaction, so, you know, um, when we go, some people can't profit, yeah, some people can't profit off of that. He aced out. You know Dean Spanos with that, but he's got you know, cabillions and cabillions of dollars. He and his wife. His wife actually is worth even more than than, than Stan Kroenke it's is. A smart so. move, yeah, yeah. But I, I I like it because sometimes you have to buy property in order to get in Oof. with the certain uh, powers that be in a certain area. Yeah, start making friends and letting them know that you're going to be in town and what your intentions are. That's part that really helps kind of grease the skids for you to go a little further and really grow, especially in an area where a guy, like a certain family, like the Spanos, had plenty of time to do so. They did. And they, they never did. did, and they never made those you friendships. Know, the, the, the thing with all of that is um, people forget, especially if you don't know the politics of California, kind of like here where you know the, the, the mayor has her little parcel of, mm-hmm. of town, yeah, the city. but it's really the uh, uh, Clark County that kind of runs the whole show in a lot of ways. Well, there, um, you could, Stan couldn't have done that if it was literally in the city of Los Angeles. Inglewood's not the city of Los Angeles. Inglewood is, has its own mayor. And at that time, <laughs> they were going through like a reshuffling of their city council. So there were only like two people at that time on the city council. So all these decisions were being made by basically three people. And they've, they found this loophole of being able to say, because usually you have to all these crazy things have to happen for you to be able to turn land into whatever it is that you want in Los Angeles. But because it was a small municipality and the mayor was on board with this because he wanted to change his town. He wanted to make his city a premier type of a city. And, and he actually has. Uh, they didn't have to go through all the, the the mayor of Los Angeles and the city council, which is just always at its, each other's throat. And you can never get a consensus on things. So the only way that happened was because it was done in Inglewood, the city of Inglewood, which is part of Los Angeles, but not governed by Los Angeles. And they had a willing mayor and a very <laughs> tiny little 
where they, they just got some signatures that you were able to get a thousand signatures to override all this other state stuff and everything like that. And it was a brilliant <laughs> play, you know, um, and, and it's basically saved the NFL to be able to go to Los Angeles. It really did. And uh, yeah, it's, it, it's good. To, and it's, it's funny because that area was so owned by you know, a lot of property was owned by guys like Bob Hope. Um, Fred McMurray, these are old Hollywood actors. They yeah. bought tons and tons of land and held on to it. Uh, Bing Crosby, mm-hmm. Toluca Lake, all this stuff Toluca was owned Lake, by, yeah. by one person. Gene Autry owned like tons of land. Yes. So it's like you had to like work with them. And in fact, sometimes even the government would have to go and like take them to court. Be like, we need an airport. Right. Okay, can you, can you let us buy this land at a certain <laughs> price? Put a, put yeah. a price down. We'll, we'll fix it. But what would be for today, if you're going to talk to Luke Getze, mm-hmm. what are like the main questions you want to pry out of him? Because I think everyone wants to know, philosophy right and like uh, who's your quarterback gonna be and who's your quarterback gonna be he's gonna tell us he's gonna have answers for sure take everything he says straight to your heart and tattoo and what do you think about Aiden? none of that's gonna happen Uh, yeah you know find out what he thinks about Aiden he's gonna speak glowingly about Aiden O'Connell um I think they're you know uh obviously they're wide open on on quarterback and and I, I don't think you have to be you know, uh, a football guru to understand that they're going to look to upgrade that position. He's going to be limited in what he can say. What happened in Chicago? You know, um, what was the uh, what was the uh, the breaking point there that you know uh, that they showed him the the exit after two seasons? Um, you know what, what Michael Mayer? How he plans to use Michael Mayer? Okay. Um, Trey Tucker. You know all those kind of kind of little things. He's probably just now kind of getting. Uh, into into the roster and what he has at his disposal. That's going to change with the draft and free agency. But but yeah, general stuff like that. Well, I think what do you guys want to know? I could ask questions for, for on, on behalf of you guys. The role of the running back in your offense. Okay, yeah. What kind of running back? Do you, do you need want? a running quarterback? Okay. You know, does the, the, the do you need do you need a quarterback that can move around a little bit? I think the answer is yes. In today's football, you better have that. Okay. Whether even if your offense yeah. isn't isn't predicated on your quarterback being a runner by design. You need to have a quarterback that can get you out of some trouble with his legs. And I think even, Lindsay, like what kind of offensive line are mm-hmm. you looking for? Because if you're looking at the quarterback of the future in the draft, you might be looking at your offensive line in the draft too. I would specifically ask him how much he's going to use 12 personnel. That's what I'd ask. And just see, because like you can tell by if that's going to be a prevalent thing, how big a body set they're going to be using and probably what you're going to be doing with the tight end position. And 12 right? personnel is two tight ends, one yeah. running back, so two tight ends. That's where I'm, is this offense going to be predicated on a large part of that offensive look? And if so, that changes a lot of different, a lot of my imagination about where this offense is going. And so, and that's, that's becoming more and more prevalent in the NFL as it is, the 12 personnel. You could run out of it. You could throw out of it. You uh, sometimes use that tight end to help protect your quarterback too. So um, I would imagine, and and you look at what he did with Cole Komet, the tight end, um, another Notre Dame tight end. I think he played with, he might have played with Mayer for a year, but you know, really good numbers for the tight end. So I would imagine, uh, and I think that I think the Raiders, I think it's it's critical that the Raiders figure out a way to use him more because I think he's the ultimate weapon. We saw what happened when Michael Mayer got the ball in his hands. Well, and that's good why things. If, if there's a heavy emphasis on 12 personnel, that gives me pause. Yeah. Unless there's, that's there's a good this thing. next new – well, is it a good thing? Because I, I just yeah. – I read 12 personnel as my tight ends. At least one of them is probably going to be blocking. Not necessarily. But that's where – how I think, creative can you get out of 12 personnel? Yeah. and, and I, so, Right. And I think know, if you look at Cole, Cole, Cole was lining up all over the place, slot, outside. And I th- that's what I think you could use – Michael Mayer as Michael Mayer, like like I said, the ultimate weapon. He doesn't just have to be put his hand in the dirt 
and play right next to your tackle. You can line them up out wide. You can line them up in the slot. You can line them up as an H-back, roll them out from, uh, you know, from, from that. Obviously, he's going to be able to block. You need to run the ball, too, so – so uh, th- there's that. But, yeah, um, how limited – when you are in your 12 personnel, are you going to be creative in how you use your tight ends? And when I look at the numbers for Cole Komet in, in Chicago, I, I, I think that there's, there's a possibility of that. There's a trend. I mean, when you think about 12 personnel, there is a trend that's mm-hmm. happened in the NFL that where maybe like four years ago it was like used 15% of the time or 17%, and now we see those numbers increasing. Yeah. Is he a part of that trend? Does he does he feel like, you know, is that is that the best way to protect the quarterback or is that the best way to, you know, eat up the field, eat up the clock and, you know, and keep your offense on the field longer? Whatever it is, I'd like to know, like, what is his thoughts on that? Because, you know, as you said, Lindsay, like, are you going to be an explosive offense or are you going to be one that's going to kind of like – limit certain guys because with 12 personnel you're taking another wide receiver off the field yeah Yeah, and you're playing a more physical brand and that's been preached from Antonio Pierce from his introductory news conference and so that's really I I think there is there is value in beating the absolute hell out of a team snap by snap and and being able to Mm -hmm. exact that type of physical toll especially by as a as a tone setter right correct setting that tone early correct and that's where there's so many things offensively that I'm sure all of us really want to get into that just wasn't possible this past year because they didn't have enough snaps. There wasn't enough continuity to tinker and see it. It wasn't viable enough to really experiment with it. And so that's where how how diversified are they going to look or is it going to be kind of the, the same type of personnel where we're going to go with more of the deception route where you're going to guess versus we're going to make you run around and make decisions. Those right. are different psychological tests that you're putting on your opponent. So mm. That's why it'll be interesting. Um, you know, I'm already like, let's get to OTAs just to be able to see it out there. But Doc, we just got to the offseason. You were telling me how excited you were to have a weekend off. Well, Relish. Then and catch up. The, the OTA is to see, you know, to, when they get out there on 11 on 11 to see how things are lined up. You mm-hmm. remember, I mean, back in training camp when you saw Trey Tucker for the first time, or really, I think it might have been OTAs, the first time you saw Trey Tucker and, and like, what the possibilities were with him. That's another player that I want to see more involved in this Raiders offense. I think he's somebody that, you know, absolutely can be maybe not a high-volume guy, but a guy that you know, you get him, you get him his five touches in a game, and and hope that he makes two really big plays, two real you know positive plays. There's a lot of value uh, in that. Yeah, and I would ask him specifically about Trey Tucker if he gets five <laughs> touches in a game. How many of those would be behind the line of scrimmage? Ideally, from a theory standpoint. Oh yeah, explain. Of just like well, in terms of you using him as it well, because he's a deep threat mm-hmm. guy, right? But you can't send him down on the deep threat route every time. That can't be the only look that you go to him at. And so that's where, you know, I always that push and pull. I want you going forward on your toes and back on your heels. I want that that seesaw. Hand it off to him, too. And Exactly that. And so that's where <laughs> they would never answer it. And, they, like, that specifically. Is. So if you had seven touches to give Trey Tucker, how many of them are going to be behind the line of scrimmage? They're not going to tell us. But I just, that that's how you f- utilize him and, and what type of tool you see him as. Because okay. if he's just that burner, then he, I don't think he's, envisioned as that big a part of an offense but when we're going to do it here we're going to do it here we're going to do it here well then that's a lot more inclusion of number 11 on all the play cards remember when mike tice 
he put a number on uh, Randy Moss. It was like the Randy Moss rules, and it was like you got to get him the ball like X amount of times. Yeah, and it ended up blowing up in their face because teams were like, "You're just telling us that you're gonna, well, you have to." That's, <laughs> you know the, that's you know. Yesterday we were talking <laughs> about like the, the specialization <laughs> where sometimes they people really... are so good, I, you know exactly what I'm gonna do, and I'm still gonna beat you. And yeah. Randy Moss is one of those players that it's like I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna do, and I'm gonna still beat you. But yeah, because he was bigger, faster, taller, could correct. jump higher. He's Randy Moss. People yes. were, were centralizing their entire drafts on trying to neutralize. Him. There's there's literally a is it an adjective or a verb when you get must? What is that? Uh, that would, that be, would be a verb. <laughs> verb. Well, no, verb is something that you do. So you must someone, but you got must is yeah. what is that? Whatever that is, yeah. it, it was named after somebody. And, and, and then next thing you know, there was an explosion of six four corners all around the league that could not play football. Correct. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're all they're all X wide receivers in the last two years. Like just bat it down, just bat it down. You know, when Randy got there, it was before the internet. You know, and um, yeah. it was probably just kind of coming around. So it wasn't. So you would read these little blurbs about, you know, this guy's just destroying people in training camp. Like it was, it was like a, you felt like, are they exaggerating that? Or, you know, he had six touchdown passes, you know, receptions in practice, like the second practice of the, of, of, of training camp. And you're like that. I don't usually read that number <laughs> about, you know, and you're like, is this real? Is yeah, this guy going to be Who's counting that? that, right? Yeah. Well, well, why, it was, and why is it relevant? Because right. he was so damn good. He, <laughs> he like stepped foot on a pretty darn good Minnesota Vikings team. Chris Carter was on that team. It was a good team. Mm-hmm. And he was just destroying people from like literally day one. And you're like, okay, that sounds pretty promising as a Vikings fan. Is this going to carry over? Yes, it did carry over. And he was just tremendous from day one. And I don't know that I, that we've seen a guy like that from I don't think day so. one. Well, I mean, the comparable is uh, we're in 18 for the same team. I mean, he broke a lot of the records, Justin Jefferson, but there's such different it's, yeah. people and players and styles and, and how they go about their business because, like, Randy – king of 50-50 ball, right? But, like, you could say Justin Jefferson is, but he he rips it down differently. Like, I feel like he swims his arms through a little bit easier, or maybe it's just a different level of arm strength, whereas, like, Randy, it, it just, like you said, Vinny, you were just longer, faster, could jump higher. Gronk-Kelsey comparison, right? Yeah. Gronk, yeah. I, I'm going to bowl you over, and there's no way you could stop me. Kelsey's like, I'm going to find a place because I saw how you moved on the last snap, so that means this is open. Because they were kind of like the forerunners of what the that position could be, and nobody had seen a wide receiver like Randy Moss before. No. The same way they did not see pass-catching touch tight ends the way Gronk was. Right. And then Kelsey evolved to be. But, you know, for maybe just two que- questions for, for Getsy is, like, how important is the red zone to you, and what Ooh. do you plan to do to improve – an offense that was I feel like we've 24th asked that in the red zone. I know because I want to. I want to. I want to match up the ad answer with the Gruden answers, the McDaniel's answers, and like just see where they fall in. Because I want to find score, something different. If you had to score in one play in the red zone, what would it be? <laughs> yeah, right. Just Literally. one. Literally, I want to see like if you ask that specific of a question, how they would? Because we all have our scripts, right? And we say, well, this is the how do you approach the red zone? Well, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna have a, a gotta run the ball. Right? Gotta exactly. be able to scheme so it up. So how do you get people out of their script? Because that's when they start reaching for different words that usually aren't on the shelf when they get triggered for that answer. So like ask them specifically if you had to run that one play. By the way, um, go go check out Julian Edelman's podcast because he talks about Randy Moss when he played with him in the Patriots. <laughs> Randy oh, Ma- I love those Moss clips. called him Edelnuts. Edelnut. <laughs> Edelnut. <laughs> go make sure the and he would he would always have to get his hot tub <laughs> right. 103 <laughs> degrees. What was it? He had to put all these things in there like salt, you know, all this stuff. Make sure it's you know and have my have my Gatorade there ready. <laughs> Edelnut. Nuts. 
you know, and then he eventually earned his respect, obviously, and they became really good friends. But early on, he just that was that was the rookie, and you're just some dude that you better go take care of all my little needs and everything. Well, you're like sitting that. there with a thermometer, Animal making sure it's the right touch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hun- mine, what uh, do you say, like 102, 103? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as country as he was. Yeah, uh, I remember a friend of mine uh, said that Donna Summer, the great star of the Ooh. '80s, tried to get him fired because her drink was not at 65 degrees the way she had asked you for know, it in the contract. That yeah. stuff is <laughs> when I worked at the forum back in the day I would talk to um, my friends that were ushers you know that they, they would be there for everything hockey games basketball games concerts man some of the some of the artists that would come in like you have to have blue and green skittles or whatever don't like, you have to have one weird have, ask though in your contract like a talent contract isn't I, that a thing I don't well don't look so and so in the eye that's a big one like yeah, literally no eye contact no right? eye yeah. contact with uh, you know whoever um, you know, it has to be, like you said, the temperature has to be this, or the, it has to be, be orange juice with ask? no pulp, you know, or <laughs> all these little things. That's if you ever watch, um, if you ever watch, uh, this is Spinal Tap, you know, the, the bread. Yeah, <laughs> I can't fold the, I have to fold the bread. But, yeah, but then, you have, then you're like this, I just want a sandwich. I just, you know, it's just some cracky university, or North, <laughs> University of North Carolina. I just, don't let it affect your performance. I would be the queen I'm a professional, of, I'll rise above it. I would be the queen of a weird ask, but I would never, like, contractually obligate someone to, like, have that ready. Or just do it facetiously. I, and, right, because I think, at least my logic when I think about it, you have a weird ask in the contract so you make sure that people are reading it all the way to the letter. Right? Yeah, right. It's yeah. like, I want specifically purple really, Skittles only, yeah, right? They really bought that? Right, correct. Correct. And, and the commitment to you as a client, you as a partnership, whatever else. And so that's where I'm like, well, would I ask for like perfectly um, uh, defrosted crusties? Would I ask for mouth mixer gushers that I'm not really sure if they're even in circulation anymore? Uh, right, yeah. Have, you know, have some interns sweating it out all day long looking I would like, for them. <laughs> I would like two boxes of fruit roll-ups, all of them uh, out of the wrappers but still on the paper. I had to uh, I had to stay late one night. It was I like, want to do the whip thing. Yeah. And no red M&Ms. No yeah. red Absolutely M&Ms. Not Absolutely no red, no red dye number five. I had to stay late one night. It was a concert, and I forget who it was, but it was a huge, huge act. And uh, I'm leaving, and I have to walk through um, what they called it the press lounge, uh, this great little hangout uh, at the forum. And the managers and the ticket dude for, for the forum were – Counting money, like it was stacks. It was before credit cards were cool. more. Yeah, what do you do with all that stacks cash? And stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks. And no of personal cards checks. Of and you cash. didn't Heisman it and run the hell out of there? No, I was just like, holy crap. They were counting that night's box office receipts. You yeah. and DB wow, Cooper. That's cool. Vincenzo and D.B. Cooper, that's what it could have been. The two that got away. And we never found Vinny's parachute or the money. (laughs) Vinny, why are you running with a parachute out on the ground? (laughs) I was coming out of the forum one night, and I hear this argument going on. And I walk to my car, and who is? It's Don King and Mike Tyson, and they're screaming at each other. And then Mike Tyson gets in his car and just speeds away. And Don King's left. I, I think they drove there together. And Don King's left all by himself. And he's looking around like there's about six other people that are there. And he's like, Mike's a little upset. <laughs> but it's, it's going to be fine. Mike, Mike's just a little upset right now. Like, you don't have to explain it to me, brother. I don't... <laughs> just a minor misunderstanding. <laughs> yeah. he's a, he'll, he'll be fine. Mike will be fine. Oh, that's good. We'll keep him on the, uh, on the, on the text line. 702-365-9200. What would the questions you'd like to hear? Yeah, from, from Luke Getzey, the yeah. new offensive coordinator. I think there's a... There's a there's an assumption out there from some fans that this was a bad hire. I just I don't know. I'm not smart enough to know whether it's going to work or not. But I feel like Antonio Pierce feels like this is the right guy, and uh, we'll see. It's going to be we're going to figure this out 
within the next year or two whether or not this is working. So to, to say that it's a great hire or a bad hire at this point, I think is is premature. It is, and uh, but we know one thing. A lot of it has to deal with the draft, and mm. the, the Raiders' uh, woes on offense could be answered by the draft. In fact, they're kind of like put in a proverbial high-stakes poker game. Who are also on this table that you have to watch out for for the things the Raiders want and need? We'll get into that as well. You're on Raider Nation Radio. It's the morning tailgate. Let's go. Recovered by Gabby Marshall. Here comes Clark. How will she go for history? There it is! The all-time leading scorer in women's college basketball. That's a sound. That bucket from Caitlin Clark to break the all-time career scoring record for women's basketball. Just nothing but vibes, nothing but confidence. I love it. Shoots it from the left side of the logo. Just drains the three. Hits just that back part of the rim. Some of those sounds, like a pure golf shot, right? Oh, yeah. It's like there, there, there's something about it. How will she go for history? Yeah! Uh, <laughs> uh, so it just gives you, it gives you like a visceral reaction through my body when I hear hear buckets like that, or like a pure stick save when it just goes off so smooth it just careens right into the corner. It doesn't even go in front of the net, and it even even the most perfect goes off the stick, off the glass, and you started the breakout. There is no better. There is no better. She go for history. Yeah! Uh, just a dead eye shooter. Incredible career. That's been going on and just, I mean, it's just a, a flawless effort. It looks like so easy for her. And at the same time, you can just see like when you're making sounds like that out of a bucket, that means years and years of work has been put into this moment. And her, her ability to shoot from anywhere on the court is un- unbelievable. There's nothing like it. Yeah. And for her to surpass Kelsey Plum last night, I mean, we, we kind of talked about like two weeks ago. We were like, well, she's got 103 points to go. How long will that take her right. <laughs> to get to exactly it? Exactly that. And you, you said about two and a half weeks, and, and that's where it is. And I think about um, the impact that Steph Curry has had on the game of basketball. And and we, we've talked about, you know, what the three-point shot did to the men's side of the game and how it's revolutionized it. Mm-hmm. But backdoor, secretly, the more that I think about it, what he's done in ushering in that shot at, at, to be to the level of prevalence that it is, is a huge help for the fight of equality and and for fight for equal respect for men and women in that game. Because you heard about the three point contest for the All Star game. Is that this weekend? It's in Indianapolis, right? It's mm-hmm. it's going down, and Sabrina Ionescu and Steph Curry are going to compete. Yeah, right. Pretty sweet. And the thing is, is when you're shooting three balls from deep. You don't have to go through big bodies usually. Sure, defense, you want to stick somebody on them. You want to bump and run them. Like, that's a commitment. That's that's a different way to play defense. Good luck doing it for the whole game. People have been trying to do it for stuff for years. But that's a, that's where smaller, lesser imposing bodies can find a way to be majorly valuable. You don't have to go through the punishment of, of going through the post, always getting that layup. And so it just opens the doors for, for different levels of respect. And I think – a huge reason why Caitlin Clark is where she is is the hours and thousands of, of shots that she's put up. But also when you have influences like like Steph Curry, like Sabrina, like Kelsey Plum, that just rip it from distance and you get you just hone it in and you become an assassin that way. And it's amazing to see. It's uh, there's nothing like it, and it's like maybe the 
the equalization came out as a part of like you don't have to be the biggest tallest person to be Correct. on the court anymore. And the NBA and has shown that basketball has shown that all the time. There's always been a smaller person throughout history, the history of the game that's fast can shoot, um, and it shows that that not that every obviously you know they're the one percent of the one percent, but of the one percent of the one of the of, of that. You know, you can have all different sizes and uh, athletic ability. To me, James Harden's not a great athlete, like mm-hmm. in, in the classic sense. He's not jumping out of the gym, but he uses leverage. He uses shooting. He uses body movement, uh, steps, you know, leans. Time manipulation. Yeah, exactly. Larry Bird. Um, I mean, there's a, there's plenty of players that kind of fit that category that don't just jump out of the gym or can just take it right to the heart of the um, of, of, of the defense and knife through and, and dunk on somebody. So... Uh, it is a beautiful sport in that regard because there's room for everybody. Right, right. But that's where they, they've certainly always existed, but in terms of how, how special that position and, and those type of athletes have become and have started swarming the sport, um, I, I think that's new. But that's just part of the evolution, I'll, right? Yeah, that's just part of the evolution of it. It's always going to be, yeah. And and then we have a response kind of back, at least when we talk about the NBA and, and, and to a degree with the WNBA because Asia Wilson it, can hit it from three, but she's also a body that can go in the paint and take that physical um, a, abuse and find a way to get that bucket. But then we see guys like Joel Embiid. We see guys like uh, like Jokic, where he just like throws the ball from deep. But these centers, like, there's all this this back and forth, and so it's fascinating to watch and and just to see the evolution of the game on the shoulders of people like Caitlin Clark and obviously so many other people that have allowed her to have the space to succeed and and have this amount of uh, attention drawn to it. Because that that whole building sold out, sold out, and it has been I think pretty much all damn year. No, yeah, they're like uh, they they know when she's coming to town because the place is packed. You know, like she's yeah. the face of college basketball. <laughs> right. <laughs> even is. even last year when uh, ESPN kind of caught on to like, hey, uh, they're they're playing some postseason tournaments. So, you know, we better start putting this as like prime time, and they started switching times of games to make sure that that she could have a prime time audience, and they got amazing numbers, huge audience. Uh, bars were watching all over the all over this city. They were like, you know, captivated by Caitlin Clark, what she could do. And every time she got the ball, people were holding their breath. What's she going to do next? And yeah. just and just think about how the NCAA didn't want to put the March Madness label and extend that to the women. That's only like three <laughs> or four years ago. We don't we don't <laughs> yep, want we right. don't want to claim Caitlin Clark. <laughs> we don't want to make that part of our brand. Just think about how ass backwards that you is. You know what's what's, what's interesting to me? Stars drive it. Um, they they really do, and, and and I always go back to where the NBA was in seventy eight, seventy seven. It was it was it was no, teams weren't making a lot of money. There was a lot of, huh? Is this going to really last? Is mm-hmm. this a is this a model that's that's working? And then along comes Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, two players that broke through that co- that captured people's imagination, the fans' imagination, and then that led to Michael Jordan and and, and others. That drove it to the, its highest peak, and I think that for the women's game, players like Caitlin, that's what it requires. It requires somebody to grab somebody the, the masses' imagination. She definitely has, mm-hmm. and now there's going to be hopefully uh, players that follow. And there's already some great players. If you just watch the NBA, there's or the WNBA, there's obviously tremendous players after tremendous players. But you need somebody to be able to kind of carry it there for a little while, and then hopefully somebody comes behind. Her and she passes that torch and so on and so forth, and then it just keeps building and self-sustaining. But it it obviously is going to require 
the masses and people to watch it. If if they're we doing want, it, if we want, if we want, you know, uh, in terms of equality, in terms of pay, that's always going to be ticket, you know, driven, and that's always going to be television driven. Uh, what are, are are people tuning in uh, enough to be able to, you know, raise the level of pay, and hopefully it gets to that point. I'm not quite quite sure we're there yet. It's still kind of climbing the ladder, just as the NBA did 40 years ago, when it had to kind of nudge its way past baseball and more in tor- t- towards football. It wasn't there. I remember, um, you know, uh, picking up the LA Times and the Lakers were always sometimes on page two or way down page one. But after Magic came, then all of a sudden they were topping the Dodgers. And that was mm. a signal like, oh, wow, okay. this is this is a change. This marks a change. And and I don't know that it's ever changed back in terms of, of, of baseball and basketball. Like if you're in a city, it feels like the NBA team – is a little bit more popular than than the baseball team. It nudged it aside because it created its you know uh, it, it 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 caught the imagination of fans. So that's what we're gonna have have to have. That's what's gonna uh, propel the the WNBA oh, and the women's game. It's not quite there yet. It, it's getting Vinny, there. It's, it's for her. It for is. her. It's there. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there are people at that volleyball game last night. If you look yes, at social yeah. media followings for a ton of athletes that just happen to be women, it's there. It has been there. Yeah. It's about the finally the the legitimate commitment from the powers and the dollars that be, like saying, "Oh yeah, you can use the March Madness label because this is equal, yeah, with, right?" Without That's question. three years ago, Vinny. And, yeah. No. No. And they didn't I'm, like that weight room I'm, thing and all that. Like yeah. this isn't. And then it's going to take people watching on a consistent basis. Right. They're, they're but it's have not to... like this is just happening no, now no. and people are like this. It has been great for a while. I... It's just everybody else is now catching like, oh, damn, look at this. But that's what you need. You need Correct. those people to come on board. That's the my, that's my entire point is that it doesn't it doesn't move until people start getting behind it and start religiously watching it and following it and uh, and, and tuning in because Everyone, there's there's a bottom line for everybody. And if it's profitable and it makes money and people are actually tuning in and advertisers want to capture that because there is an audience for it, that's what's going to drive salary up. And I think we're, we're, we're moving in that direction. It's not where everybody wants it to be right now. But the more people that watch, the more people that come on board, uh, the more people that support it, the more it's going to move in that direction. For history. <laughs> Just wait. When the WNBA... And Caitlin Clark, you know, become this force in the summer. You know, it's like, there. What what could this be? Like, how could how strong could the WNBA brand get even further? Because it's strong right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the thing is, is that she still could choose to go back for another year. Yeah, like, and <laughs> and there's really too. not a, yep. like there. There's reasons to go to the WNBA for sure, but there's also reasons to stay. She's in probably college. making a lot of money right and now. So I, I, absolutely, and uh, money's the only thing that matters apparently. But in, in terms of what. If they win a title this year, and you check that off, you check off the the record, all that stuff. It's I feel like you kind of have to. You've grown, you've outgrown your environment, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes because we know the WMA, while it is growing, it's not exactly the growing fast enough to be able to support brands like Caitlin Clark to the same degree that it has been able to feature its players in the past. Now. Things have gotten a lot better really mm-hmm. quickly, and so that's what I, I hope for. We already have one team in an expansion. Uh, I would hope that roster expansion itself is right around the corner because there's way too often where you have a top five pick from the draft class previous that gets cut. And so there's there's a lot of growing pains with a league that has been treated like a charity case for the majority of its existence yeah, yeah. and now being moving into that legitimate 
business profiteer and and, and getting all the owners who are involved with this in that same mindset because they're not. And you and that's what this league needs. It's not big enough to not have the majority on board. No, it doesn't. And in fact, the people took more of a reflection of what Mark Davis Correct. and how he covets the team. Yep, and the size in New York oh, and all goodness, that. Yes. And, and, and pushing and pushing and pushing. And that's where it's like, it's not just growing the business. It's growing the business for the individuals that are already there or just about to be there. Because that's not uh, a supportive environment enough. Not everybody has a locker room like the Aces do. Yeah. Or, what or, would you trade to get or their the own facility? Pick if Caitlin is, uh, if you're if you're a team, what would you? First of all, if you're do you if you're the WNBA, do you want her to go someplace specific, or does it matter to you? I wonder if it would matter. I wonder if it would if they would care because. Uh, you, you, you'd want to make sure she goes to a team that is going to try to be competitive because you're going to play well, her games all the time. more competitive when you have Caitlin Clark because this is the same thing that the New York Liberty went with two, three years ago because I think Inescu's final season was the pandemic year, so she couldn't compete in the tournament. She got drafted, and the Liberty were, were bottom feeders. And until this past offseason, her first year, she had, like a, I think it was an ankle injury really early, and so she lost a, a chunk of time. But then Brianna Stewart joined there last, not this past summer, the summer before, and then John Quill Jones also that's jumped what in you on hope it. For, yeah. And that's where, because there aren't thirty teams, right? There, you can get these super teams a little bit easier. And that's how the Aces—they've grown theirs within, and they have some supplemental pieces like Chelsea Gray that comes in after winning a championship in LA, and and Candice, she's coming back too, which is great. But uh, in terms of is there a market that she that they don't want her to go to because it could just flounder? I don't think that's the, the same consideration in the NBA where you can kind of stick a star in a city and if it's if it doesn't take off, they just kind of go off in the distance. Because was it uh, Aaliyah Boston? She was drafted by the in, Indiana Indian Indiana team this summer. And again, there's a reason why you have a number one overall pick. But I have a feeling things are going to change around there pretty quick, too, because the talent that's coming to that league is so good. And so I'm really excited. I'm really excited. They're at the they're at the point of the spear when it comes to forwarding women's progress in sports. And so I'm I'm their biggest cheerleader. and I can't wait to see what they do. All right. Keep them coming on the text line. Give us your thoughts. 702-365-9200. Harry Ruiz will join us at eight. It's Lindsay, Vinny and Clay. Harry Ruiz, the Raiders Spanish play by play voice, joins us at eight o'clock. And we take your thoughts on. Luke Getze questions on the text line 702-365-9200, but also we'll start to expand the conversation about, all right, going forward and fixing the Raiders' offense, and you know the needs and wants are in the draft. All right, well, who else are you playing with here? Because currently we're at number 13. We have outlined a few teams that, like, all right, they look like threats, and others look like, all right, they may have already you know, let's say a position already at quarterback that they feel comfortable with. They already feel like Chargers have their guy at Herbert. And not going to be necessarily in the, you know, sweepstakes for a QB and so on and so forth. But there's some teams in there that are really sneaky, and we'll, we'll get into that a little further into the second hour. Uh, from that text line at seven zero two three six five ninety two hundred on the uh, on the Caitlin Clark topic, you know, KP bringing up that Indiana Fever do, do have the number one pick. Scary uh, thoughts there. Like okay, yeah. if uh, Aaliyah Boston and Caitlin Clark are. Sharing the floor. You're totally. I could envision that. Uh, well, I, I mean, uh, that could be a scary team, and, and a team that now attracts elite free agents. All of a sudden, Indiana is now exactly. a, a team to chase. Where did their rookie play college? Huh? The, the, Aaliyah Boston. Yeah, mm-hmm. South Carolina. Nice. Okay. And yeah. that is crazy to she think was, like a Big Ten. One of the best players in the in the country. If a Big Ten women's team can go and defeat, you know, a South Carolina or 
you know, the top teams in the in college basketball on the women's side have always been like really traditional blue bloods and like good for Iowa if they can like sneak True. in there and find a way like this is cool because now you're you're now you're spreading it out where like, OK, it's not just the same teams, the same usual suspects each and every year crushing everyone. Well, now you got some yeah, real Notre, competition. Notre Dame's got some. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, is she a freshman? I, I, I don't know what year she is. I I, I, I apologize. I you don't have, follow uh, uh, college basketball. Men's, I couldn't tell you, you know, men's college basketball players right now. Got the Watkins character at USC. Is it Juju Watkins? She, mm-hmm. I think oh, she's, she's a freshman. She's setting the world on fire, sure I hear. Sierra Canyon. Uh, it, it's interesting because, like, co- women's college basketball, and I don't follow it super close either, but I, I see things and information's in my brain. And, and just... UConn has been that blue blood for so for decades, mm-hmm. literally for decades. Tennessee, too. and yeah. and this like three or four year little blurb here because like Paige Becker's plays from Minnesota product, and they obviously know how to recruit other people besides her. But they've had so many injuries, yeah. like regular season injuries, and so I want. There's always the what if, like what if UConn is at the peak of their powers? What does that do in terms of when they clash with LSU, when they clash with Notre Dame, when they clash with South Carolina? Line, right, because there's there's so many different power. Even Stanford, right? We don't even like in Vanderveer and stuff. And hell, we even got a good little squad here in town with the UNLV Lady Rabs with Lindy LaRock. Like that's a squad that's been building year after year after year. Solid. And um, it's and just, I think that's a it's a sign that more girls are playing. Right. And the, and because it's to be able to populate all of these teams instead of just a couple of these and teams. high level skill at right. that. Right. Uh, obviously. And and I wasn't being facetious. I didn't know where no, she no, went to school. No. No. For sure. Okay? I get it. And here's the thing. There's one college pl- basketball player that I know, Caitlin. I don't know any of the guys' teams. Correct. Right now, to be honest with no, you. No. I same. It's and and, and it's just different because because you know the, the players. Stay one year and they move on, and there's no continuity. When when uh, Clay and I were were growing up, you know, James Worthy would stay till basically his junior year. You'd get guys that stayed four years in college, so there was a there was a there was you knew these guys. Yeah, I don't know any of them to be honest with you. Uh, there, there's so. there uh, I I hear a lot of people when they talk about women's hockey compared to men's hockey. Maybe it's the same thing for women's basketball versus men's basketball. That like the women's game in a lot of ways is a more pure version of of that sport because you're not focused on as much on the physicality, the hitting, the checking, all that. You have mm-hmm. to move around people. You have to develop the skill in order to beat people with your feet, it with your hands, rather than with your midsection and and your your body. And so when you when you see how many people have jumped because there has been an opportunity for men to jump and make money and play basketball to the degree that they have that hasn't been available to the same degree for women, it kind of takes away from that purity, right? Because it becomes about the business. It becomes about the skills that are the most valuable in the business. It becomes, you know, <laughs> yeah, it becomes value. about the development of those skills in the business instead of the fundamentals of the game where I think a lot of that exists more in Europe right now. At least that's what JJ Reddick's podcast tells me in the clips that I watch of it on TikTok. And so it's... It's a fascinating thing to see and, and just to see women kind of take over the face of basketball at that level and, and we'll see where it goes. But that sport is just in such a healthy spot right now. So All right. good talk. Let's get into the second hour. Lindsey, Vinny, and Clay. Harry Ruiz brings us off and starts us up in just 90 seconds. Stay right there. Don't go anywhere.